Yeah, today's episode of the Not That Great Podcast is uh, widely available, so go find it wherever you find podcasts. And uh, review, like, subscribe, five stars, all that good stuff. Find us on Instagram at Not That Great Pod. Shoot us an email at notthatgreatpod at gmail.com and ask questions about nonsense. Very quick intro right now. Um, I'm not on this episode. It's Alex Brown and Logan Nieder, and they're going to review episodes seven and eight of The Last Dance, which are, in my opinion, the two most powerful episodes thus far. Um, and that's that. So enjoy that. Desi's in the house. Desi, say hi. Okay. Moose also in the house. Let's go. Make it a double. I can take it another. It's so hard to chase it, live up to, yeah, it slides away when you're running like my Uncle David, who never lived to escape it, the trouble you were about to cave in, give up to talking in your basement, we decided. Remember that All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Not Great, That Great Podcast. Good way to start the show. I butchered our own name. Um, I'm Al Brown, joined once again, my buddy Logan, a.k.a. Hot Wheels. Um, we are recapping episodes seven and eight of The Last Dance on ESPN. This one starts out, we basically, you know, uh, uh, curtain opens and it's, it's April 20th, 1998. Jerry Krause uh, gets asked a somewhat uncomfortable question about uh, all of the backstabbing that's happening within the organization. And he, <laughs> he gives a somewhat curt response and storms off and you just hear <laughs> off camera, way to go, Craig. <laughs> that was, so, that was that so funny. Absolutely cracked me up i thought that was hilarious and apparently i didn't know this that craig that they're referencing was the uh the late great craig sager do you remember craig sager no not not specifically, so, no. yeah so you've probably saw him and gone my god what is that dude wearing craig sager was a sideline reporter for a long time in the nba and had like notorious like okay interviews yeah, no, I... with with Greg Popovich and dressed as basically he looked like I don't know somewhere between like Technicolored or like the mayor of Candyland like something yeah. like that like very loud very but it was just kind of funny to have that little <laughs> that no little he probably he probably Craig. brought he was a little uh, comic relief in the in the news reporting world i'm sure yeah yeah no that was that was a great that was a great little little tidbit so i mean jerry kraus didn't think he was very funny obviously but <laughs> no no i think it's just so funny how the, the it seems like the one of the running there are a couple running trends that i i kind of want to get into later but the first one that i noticed really was jerry kraus gets shit on the entire time yeah and it's not for no reason but i also i mean i i, I think it's it was also a bit much yeah it really is like the guy it's also still, a bit much he still was the gm and he still 
had to run essentially the the whole back office of of the Chicago Bulls during this insane time insane with with the amount of popularity and going from a nothing team to cream of the crop of the league yeah it, it you know having to navigate through all that I'm sure he had quite a difficult time trying to navigate and I, I'm sure at the same time he was also loving every second of it because he went from you know the team went from worst to best <laughs> yeah yeah and I mean you know one of the lines that's been said about Kraus is that like he always deserved more credit than he got but he always wanted more credit than he deserved yeah you no, know you definitely get that feel from him like at the same like when when uh, when he asked that question I believe the the the, it was something phrased along the line of, are you surprised that the team is doing so well with all the backstabbing yeah. and, and something he, he went on a little bit longer and before Jerry Krause started sort of laughing and then incredulously, yeah, very upset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Unlike that question you just asked, it storms <laughs> off. Right. Way to go, go Craig. Craig. <laughs> so then we uh we get into they start talking about his dad and we we know what this is leading up to, but his relationship with Michael being not just a father-son relationship, but also his his best friend. Now, in the earlier episodes, we get to hear Michael talking about wanting to be closer to his father and being a bit jealous. His brother Larry was the favorite, you know, because Michael didn't know anything about, you know tools and stuff like that and sort of that being the foundation of his legendary work ethic and determination you know like it's it basically it wasn't as if mj was birthed trying to hustle nurses in a in a game of quarters or something like that you <laughs> right. know and um jordan gets choked up about it of course um you know this was the man who was with him for all of his success right by his side through all this craziness basically told the media to back off when jordan stopped talking pop publicly after the whole gambling scrutiny that the media had been you know inundating him with um and tragically we know what happens next james jordan vanishes it looks like a carjacking potentially a hostage situation that went wrong perhaps the media just fabricated this story connecting the death to Michael's gambling. Maybe some unsavory character who had a connection with a golf hustler named Slim Bowler. Regardless, Jordan has his kingdom crumbling around him and he just says, enough, I'm out, I'm leaving. Yep. What did you, uh, like, do you have any, so one you, have of the, any you know, thoughts on, on all of this and why he walked away? So one of the things that really, really hit me the hardest with, with that whole topic was that uh, James Jordan was always there. Him yeah. and, his, and his wife, uh, Michael Jordan's mom, they, they tried to attend every game that they possibly could. Yeah. And you, <laughs> one of the things that I, that I really kind of took notice was in one of the one of the shots, uh, you know, back at, I think it was after the 93 championship um, there, he's, he's in the back locker room celebrating with the team and the owners and the, yeah. the GM and everything. And he says to, uh, he says, he puts his arm around Jerry Reinsdorf, <laughs> and says, who is the owner of the bulls 
Um, and he, uh, he says, so, so I wanted to talk to you about negotiating my contract with the team. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell. I, know, I, I like that one too. Yeah. I like that one too. You could tell he had a place with the team that was, it was more than just Michael Jordan's dad. He, he was always there. So I feel yeah. like he sort of was, was very much the glue that and also that yeah him. and i mean also you know by every single account that you heard the guy was just awesome to be around yeah you know, it, just he, touching he always... stories about him like going out and and getting one of those kids in the stands who never would have had a chance who didn't have a rich parent to gain them access and he would bring that kid in and you know into the locker room and jordan would sign some shoes or whatever and it's like you know that's just that's really it's touching and heartfelt and it's, it, you know, does obviously add to the tragedy of, of what went down. Um, another little quick story about, about Michael that is, is not in um, the doc is, and this was one of the things that he was famous for. Do you know why he always played with his tongue out? Like why there are so many, iconic shots of him with his tongue sticking out as he's dunking or doing a crossover or I think I think if I remember correctly it's because when his dad would be working on cars or fixing stuff that his tongue would always be out while he was you know fixing (laughs) something and he picked that up yeah so the first the, the one that I heard um was that his his you know the family was getting bigger Jordan's a little kid and uh, his father basically has, to, they're in a one floor, like ranch house kind of deal. And um, James Jordan basically tears the, the roof off and builds a second floor. And so as Jordan is watching him, like doing all of this, you know, hard work for the family, his tongue is hanging out the whole time. And apparently <laughs> to this day, Jordan still does that. Like if he's doing some sort of task or like whatever, his tongue will be hanging out, which I just thought was kind of like a fun little yeah small detail but yeah it's 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 sort of it's it's kind of funny how you know little things like that we we pick up from our parents and don't even realize it yeah um you know these little quirks and and little idiosyncrasies that we didn't know were you know you don't take notice of those things until somebody points it out to you (laughs) yep exactly so um a lot of people very surprised that Jordan retires, goes into baseball. Um, but his last conversations, really a lot of his last conversations with his father were about playing baseball. And he even tells a writer, I forget which writer this was who mentions it in the doc, that he was going to retire and go into baseball a year before. Yeah, it was after, it was, it was, it was said. Uh, it was, right, it was right. during Dream Team, right? Yeah, it was it was the Olympics were coming up. They were already practicing, and yeah. it was so it was post post ninety two championship and and going into the Olympics. Yeah. And so he says, "No, we're doing the dream team. Larry and Magic and Isaiah never won three in a row. So I'm gonna, you know, that's how I'm gonna be. I'm gonna doing do that. <laughs> so he ends up joining the White Sox Double A team. Um, the White Sox affiliate, the Barons in, in Alabama. And one of the things that I thought was so odd was uh, Reisdorf, who owns both the Sox and the Bulls, um, that they had, that they had to put him on a double-A team to accommodate the press that he brought with him. Yeah, because otherwise was, there was – I thought that was strange, though. 
but you think about it and you like uh there's 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 a ballpark up here um for one of the 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 new hampshire fisher cats they're a um a toronto blue jays farm team okay and the the stadium is tiny like it's it, it's enough yeah i've, I've for, been i have been to a a minor league ball game before i know i know what those yeah, fields so, look so like you know, you know that <laughs> know that feel where it's like you it doesn't matter where you're sitting you've got a good view of the game and if with all of that media attention that he brought with him especially the way that he retired and the the sort of leakage of him being rumored to uh be retiring from basketball at a white Sox game in the i think it was uh it was the alcs against toronto Mm -hmm. and he ended up having to leave in the seventh inning. Oh yeah. He had to like run away because they started reporting that there was going to be a press conference called and it was suspected that he was going to retire. And so that turned into a giant shit storm and and he basically has to flee the ballpark. Yeah. And Reisdorf also has to flee because he's, (laughs) he's there with him in the luxury box and he essentially has to just jet off. Exit stage left. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, but one of the things that really happens as a result of, of him going to baseball is the media just starts being real dicks to him about it. Like oh, sports illustrated, especially. Oh my God. So they're calling using words like disgrace, embarrassment, bag it, Michael on the cover of sports illustrated. It's like, Jesus guys, it's not like he went and got like placed into the starting center fielder position on the white Sox just cause he was Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Like, right. take it fucking easy. Like, and had they had they had the ability to, uh, according to Reisdorf, is that they would have put him in, yeah, single A ball or rookie ball, whatever, just to get him going if that's the route that he wanted to go. But they didn't have that option. Yeah, and also, I mean, like everyone talks about, like what a total disaster his baseball career was. But if you're it wasn't hitting even over- that bad. If you're hitting over 200 in double-A ball after not playing the sport for over a decade, that's fucking amazing. It was almost Like, the majority of people would not be able to hit a single pitch that was thrown to them from a guy yeah. who was a starting pitcher in double-A baseball. Like, Fastball or here. not. Like, but, yeah, off-speed doesn't – like, you're – yeah. So, anyways, he's playing baseball. Jordan is gone. Scotty's the man now. They have a great first year without MJ. The ball movement is incredible. Teammates are talking about what a different leader he was than MJ, a little bit more supportive, a little bit less, you know, terrifying. Um, But all of this kind of gets tarnished uh, one fateful night when in a playoff series against the Knicks, Scotty infamously refuses to go into the game because the play was drawn up for Tony Kukoc. And, uh, Tony hits the shot. They win the game. Bill Cartwright has an emotional speech in the locker room saying, you know, I can't believe you quit on us on the team. And I don't know how you feel about this. Like his former teammates being interviewed, like for the documentary, do a pretty good job of not throwing him under the bus on this one. Well, cause they don't have well, to. But when Scotty is asked about it, he just goes, I'd do it again. Yeah. So that's exactly what I was just going to say. It, he says, 
he contradicts himself in the interview and says, it's just one of those things I wish didn't happen. But if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably do the same thing. What? Yeah, and it's like, you know what? Fuck you, Scotty. I'm, I'm starting to get sick of all of these people. There's a lot of like, you know, people who have had relationships with him and know him personally and stuff like that. And I get that. And that can affect how you word certain things, but people saying that like, you know, 20 years later, he shouldn't get shit for that. It's just, it's another example of him being kind of a petty jerk, you know, yeah. like it's, it's documented and just saying, well, this happened over 20 years ago. So what he played over 20 years ago, like that, right. should, that should be, talked about just as much as all of the good stuff because it's not just you know him screaming at, at jerry Krause on a bus and it's not just you know dragging his nuts over patrick ewing's face it's that shot <laughs> it's him having some random beef with larry johnson why because scotty went out of his way to say the dude's garbage and one of the worst defenders in the league on record he had beef with Charles Barkley saying, I'm not going to apologize to him. He should apologize to me for bringing his sorry fat ass on the court. I mean, like, I know he was a great basketball player, but that should stick to your legacy. And, you know, we should be able to mention it alongside his excellent defense and his offensive facilitating. He, it just seems like, so he, he had this opportunity to, to really be, and he was for a while. They it, they didn't play poorly. Like they, after Michael Jordan left, they made it back to the playoffs and were the number, they were the number one seed that year, I believe. Yeah, I think, I think they were. I think they were. And it, it's like they didn't play poorly. and No, but they also, yet, I mean, the Knicks were very good. <laughs> like that wasn't a bad team by any, absolutely. any stretch. But then, but then, you know, these, this, this, I feel like I feel like one of the things that defines greatness especially in the sport of basketball at this time is you're you're constantly going to be compared to Michael Jordan because he's the definition of hard work. It's quite a shadow to be in. Yeah, exactly. So so having his opportunity to be in the spotlight now and even Phil Jackson said it he said, now, now that MJ has left and he's in the spotlight, this is his opportunity to really show who he is as a player and as a person because he's the focus. Yeah, and he had an MVP caliber season, but it's, you know. And he just... really went into the facilitator position. Oh, and that... man, some of those highlights of him dishing. Are just more beautiful. <laughs> like some so, of that, some of those triangle offense highlights of them just whipping that ball around. It was like <laughs> basketball porn. If you, yeah, so if you, if you blink, you're going to miss two, two passes through yep. all of that sequence. It's insane yep. how fast that they were operating. And it's no wonder that they did so well. Mm -hmm. Totally. But then, so, but then these moments happen where, it was after it happened that Michael Jordan called Phil Jackson and said, Scotty's never going to live this down. Nope. And he hasn't. And he was right. 
So they're, one last, one last uh, Scotty thing that I think that should be mentioned, which is not entirely related to what we're talking about, but I, I'm a huge fan of like what ifs in sports. So according to Jalen Rose, former member of the Fab Five, He's talked about this a few times on various platforms, so I'm not really doing like breaking news. But Scotty was almost traded to the Seattle Supersonics for Sean Kemp and Jalen Rose in 1994. Yeah, that's a fun what if, right? So the night before the draft, Krause calls Jalen Rose in his hotel room and basically vets him. He's like, you ever been to Chicago? What do you think of it? How would you like to play with Sean Kemp? So Jalen goes to sleep that night thinking he's going to be a bull, but just Kraus never is able to pull the trigger on it. And I think that's that, you know, that could have been incredible. And if Jordan had come back and had Jalen Rose and Sean Kemp, that I like, what would that, what would that have looked like? Like, you know, at the same time though, look at the reverse. And if Pippen is on the Scotty Pippen with Gary Payton, that's oh a defensive God. nightmare. Oh my That's a God. nightmare. <laughs> and you like, want to talk about shit talking. My God. Oh yeah. It, they would have been dragging nuts over everybody. <laughs> 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 so transitioning, transitioning. So the whole, um, I was kind of, I was kind of surprised by this as I feel like a lot of people were, but Basically, Jordan gets asked about, you know, how he feels about not being viewed as a nice guy or some, some iteration of that question. And it, like, flashes to the, the Jordan shit-talking sessions at, at practice, calling fucking Burrell a hoe, like, a million times. Oh, all the time, yeah. Teammates talking about the fear that came along with his being a teammate and him defending that. And he gets emotional about it. Yeah. You know, no, he, he, at the, when he's saying that, you know, he was, if you're not going to, this is how I play. This is who I am. If you're not going to be that, then don't come out and don't come out and play basically. And like, they can, and they can never, uh, accuse me of asking them something that I didn't do myself. They show clips of him and, you know, he's running sprints like he's at a, at a rookie practice, you know, exactly. like hustle. Did, did any of some of the stuff that Jordan says, get you like a little bit fired up and motivated and like, Oh yeah. Do more. Oh yeah. (laughs) There's a little bit of it where I'm like, man, I should, I should really, I should do something. I should (laughs) do more stuff. What am I doing with my life right now? Yeah. <laughs> How can I do that? a better? certain degree. Um, but uh, so <laughs> that kind of that sentiment about who he was as a competitor, as a teammate leads into BJ Armstrong, who is now playing oh. for the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, man. Kind of hilariously saying the line, I knew what it took to beat the Bulls or I knew how to beat the Bulls. I'm paraphrasing that. And yeah. then he has a uh, like a basically a game game winning shot. Yeah, with, and it makes so a really huge mistake by like talking <laughs> shit after that shot to tie the series yeah. at one piece. Because surprise, surprise, Jordan took offense to it and just owned BJ the rest of the series, and they easily handled Charlotte. 
the direct quote is I hit a shot or he hit, he hits a shot with like 17 seconds left in the game to go up by three. And he says, and I let MJ know, I let Phil Jackson know, I let Scotty know. And then Jordan's reaction to it is direct quote. I felt like BJ should know better. Should have known better. If you're high five and talk trash, then I had a bone to pick with you. I'm supposed to kill this guy. I'm supposed to dominate this guy. And from that point on, I did. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, it was, it was those moments watching him that I was just like, oh. Yeah, I mean, it's, me and I think there was a little – he would have he he gone after – anybody who did that but i think it ratcheted up a level because it was a former teammate oh yeah that it was bj yeah um but that leads us into one of the most telling stories which is the le bradford smith story (laughs) one of the craziest things i've ever heard i won't draw it out i'll quickly recap it so le bradford smith of the team formerly known as the washington bullets Scores 37 points in a win over Chicago. No, game the ends. Bulls won that game, by the way. Oh, did they? Yeah, so LeBradford Smith, that, that's what makes it so much better. LeBradford Smith scores Maybe 37. Maybe I just missed that part. I was probably just typing a note. I could have sworn that they had that Washington no, they. That. So the Bulls, I saw oh the, my God. the final score at the end. The Bulls won by five points. Good but, Lord. Le so Bradford the game ends, 37. and Smith goes up to MJ and says, good game, Mike, and MJ takes that personally. And the very next game, which is in Washington, Jordan scores 37 in the first half just to show this little fucker what a good game was and come to find out that Smith never said anything after that game in Chicago. Never MJ happened. Made, MJ made the entire scenario up. like In his head. Like, on some serious, like, Tyler Durden Fight Club shit. Like, like that's one of the most terrifying things I've ever heard of in my entire life. Like, he just fictionalized something as a motivational tool. To get better. I, because he felt slighted. Yeah. And he, so Fictionally felt slighted. Yeah. And they show that he did not have a great game in that first game against yeah. Washington. Yeah. He, did he, not have his, a good game. yeah. He, he missed like more than half of his shots. It was, yeah, it was, but then it, he goes on to score 36 in the first half. He scores 47 for the game. Yeah. And then gets asked afterwards. So did that really happen? Did LeBradford Smith really come up to you and say that? No. <laughs> he smirks, he smiles and says, no, it didn't. <laughs> Like, unbelievable, dude. So there's, there's another grudge example that isn't in the doc that the director, Jason Ayers, um, he told this story in an interview for the Worldwide Leader in Sports. There's this young player at the time. I think his name was Lance Blanks. I'm not 100 on that. I, I'm almost positive I remember it being Lance Blanks. He plays for the Pistons. Um, but attended the same basketball camp as Jordan in the summers. So Lance's either first or second year was when the Pistons famously walked off the court after losing to the Bulls in the playoffs 
like that whole, you know, passing the torch by not shaking hands kind of thing. And the next time they see each other in North Carolina, he goes up to MJ and MJ's like, and I'm, you know, paraphrasing. I don't know exactly what the line was, but it was basically like, you're supposed to be my friend and you don't shake my hand. You side with them, get fucked. It was just like, because it was, you know, like not that the dude that's how he was was just yeah and i i have the (laughs) utmost respect for him because he showed respect to just about everyone i shouldn't say that not not just about everybody but you know, at the end of a game or whatever, he wasn't gonna like walk off the court and not jab exactly. somebody up like, or something. He you know? he had the sportsmanship to go along with the talent, even if they lost. Mm-hmm. He was always there to shake everybody's hand and give a good game. But yeah, if they lost, you better watch out because he's coming. <laughs> the next yes. time you play them, the next yes. time you play the Bulls, you're gonna remember it. So we, we fast forward and after 18 months away from the association, he comes out of retirement um, more determined than ever, according to Ahmad Rashad, which is kind of like a terrifying notion. Right. Um, Hang on. Before, before you go on, I have a question for you. Yes. Do you think that if, if Michael Jordan did not take that, that break trying to play baseball or playing baseball, not trying to play baseball, but you know what I mean? Do you think that if he didn't take that break, they would have won eight straight. You think that they would have continued winning, maybe not winning championships necessarily, but do you think that they would have at least continued winning? Oh, they absolutely would have continued winning that much. I, I, when you have that much talent, it's kind of impossible not to. The only thing that makes it a little bit difficult when you get into the would they win championships, I mean, I feel like the only thing that would have prevented them from doing so would have been kind of um, by their own devices. Like everything would have gotten too crazy. Everything would have gotten too much. There would have been too much animosity, potentially. I mean, they could have, in theory, gone eight in a row. Um, but there was so much stacked against them. And, you know, also Elijah Wan was pretty, pretty incredible at that period in time. Um, you know, he was kind of the only guy on that team. I mean, you had Sam Cassell, I think, and, you know, a couple of other dudes on that Rockets team, but mostly that was just Akeem Elijah Wan. And I don't know how some of those, like uh, the rest of their backcourt would have been able to deal with a tandem of, you know, Steve Kerr and, and Michael Jordan or, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to just say blank statement. Of course they would win eight in a row. Right. Especially because of everything that was going on. And there's so many other factors that go in. Like if you're talking about him not stepping away, it did his father, still pass away in this scenario because that would totally affect things as well. Right. So I guess one of the, like, so say everything, everything stays the same, except he doesn't try to go play baseball. Like say his dad still passes away. Like one of the, one of the things, the reason I'm asking is because they, 
all of the reporters, all of the writers, all of the teammates, coaches, they all say the same thing. By the end of the 93 season, you could tell Michael Jordan was different. You could tell that he was exhausted mentally and physically. Yeah, and you he was burned out. That he, you could tell that he wasn't really enjoying the game anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why I asked, because it, it was just something that popped into my head. Like, what if – he what if he had just kept going playing. through it? Right. What if he I mean, it could have, it could have, you, you have no idea what it, it could have wound up being. Um, I mean, it could have gotten to the point where Michael became even more uh, aggressive, I guess, towards Jerry Krause to the point where they, they basically just try and auction him off for, you know, a, a goat's ransom. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, that's that's definitely one of those what ifs that you'd have to. There's just so many factors. In so that many different one, options. One that, question. So many different things that could have happened. Yeah, yeah, but um, hypotheticals aside, so he ends up he's coming back. He doesn't do super great in his first game. Um, doesn't he? He even admittedly says that he was nervous about it. Uh, he's in baseball shape, which is wildly different. Than, than what he was going to be physically needing in basketball, but still ends up having the famous double nickel game in Madison Square Garden. Um, has a couple of really incredible games and uh, buzzer beaters and stuff like that wearing the number 45. They're in the playoffs, and they run into an absolutely loaded Orlando Magic team in the playoffs. Uh, Horace Grant, who is at his apex – um, a very young and shockingly slim-looking Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> Penny Hardaway before all of his in- injuries. And Nick Anderson, who was no slouch. I mean, he was like a, a pretty decent 3-and-D kind of guy. Um, but then he makes the m- mistake of saying 45 <laughs> isn't 23. And that was a dumb thing to do, Nick Anderson. But uh, Jordan comes back wearing – number 23 it's not enough you know the time off from basketball it just it wasn't it was too much even you know the the superman himself was feeling the rust um so horace grant gets hoisted up onto the shoulders of his teammates like at the end of rudy and they're (laughs) celebrating like crazy and they're doing it in the united center in chicago that combined with 45 is in 23 and Jordan says to his trainer, basically I'll see you tomorrow. And they, he just starts going. He begins one of the most brutal routines I've ever heard of filming space jam while also in full throttle pissed off Michael Jordan training, which is so cool to watch. Oh yeah. So one of the one of the things that stuck that that really stuck out to me was when they're interviewing his trainer. Yeah. Yeah. And his trainer is visibly getting emotional. Yeah. Cuz he's talking, just he's talking about it like I'd ride into fucking hell for that man. Oh yeah. And that's another so like you talk about the things that Michael Jordan says that that you know, during this whole doc that just get you fired up, ready to go. Seeing his trainer 
talk about him that way and getting emotional like that. Oh, and, yeah. And b- being willing to ride or die with him. Yeah. That is – that even more so sort of fuels the fire yeah. for, like, the whole vibe of this documentary. Mm-hmm. And, and he just – he – he goes on to say he felt such an oblig he being Michael Jordan felt such an obligation to perform at the highest level all time, all the time. Every time. Yeah. If you're going to take three hours out of your day to watch me play, I owe you my best and I owe you my best all the time. Which is just, that's that's King shit right there. (laughs) It really is. Like it it gives you chills. I literally have goosebumps. Like <laughs> just thinking about his trainers, the look on his trainer's face after he said that, it just oh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then so basically he tells he tells Warner Brothers like I need to to work out. I need to be able to train while we're doing this. And they're like, "Cool, we'll just build you a training facility." Well, we're just going to build you a state of the art court and weightlifting fitness training gym area in the same space and but then he'll you, be fine. so he brings in part of his training routine is not just like lifting weights and, and shooting free throws but he brings in all of these guys who are the basically the best. the best of the best like you have all these dudes the reggie millers and and you know sky and, and Patrick rodman and, and before rodman is even on the team you know yeah. before he's even with the chicago bulls yeah and then uh, who else is there? And, uh, uh, Bradley's there. Yeah, yeah, like everyone, everyone. Can you imagine watching those games? That must have been amazing. Like so, that is a real all-star game because you know Jordan was getting after it. You know those dudes were like, listen, we're a bunch of alphas in the same place together. This isn't, you know, some there's no all-star here. game taking plays off. Like this is, this is a respect thing. Those yeah. must have been fucking awesome. So Reggie must have Miller been so says, great. Reggie Miller says in the in the interview, uh, these were some of the best games I've ever seen. Yeah, best games oh. I've ever played. <laughs> Man, I wish then, I could have seen one of those. And you start and you go back and you start to think about the dream team and how you know that was the greatest game ever played in one of those practices, the scrimmage that they had with yeah. the refs as they're practicing, and you start to think about it and you go. I mean, this is kind of like a 2.0 version of that. Like you have a degree, except it's, it's got, it had to have had more of a street ball vibe to it because you're calling your own fouls. And let's be honest. Were they really calling fouls? I mean, there were probably a few times where, you know, Charles Oakley probably clotheslined somebody or something (laughs) like that. I would imagine. So they, he, he does Space Jam. Obviously, we know what a monumental commercial success that was. And uh, Jordan comes back the next season, and he's still angry about Orlando. <laughs> he's, he's still angry about it. And as Steve Kerr appropriately refers to it, he was frothing at the mouth. Oh, yeah. Which leads to the story of them at practice. Kerr is... Uh, Guarding. Her and Jordan are, are, you know, guarding each other. And Phil is calling fouls, and they're a little bit ticky-tacky in Jordan's mind because he's Phil is basically trying to calm Jordan down because he's, like, you know, ready to go into the gladiator pit right now. 
So he fouls the shit out of Steve Kerr, like just slaps him and basically says, now that's a foul. Kerr, and I did not know this part of the story, Kerr throws the first punch. Yeah, I had never known chest. that. Punched him in the chest. And Jordan hauls off and, put, to quote Jordan, punched him right in the fucking eye. <laughs> and I had been waiting to, I mean, good for Steve. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And even, you know, like Jordan even kind of admits to it. He was like, you know, I punched I, the I, smallest I, guy on the team, but it's like, it like got a hit. He got his respect, you know, because Kerr hadn't been a part of those first three championships. He came when Jordan was gone. Yeah. So him being able to be that fierce a competitor, willing to, to, you know, go there and stand up to the, the big dog in the yard, Jordan respected that. Bulls historically go on to win 72 games, um, which breaks the at-the-time record set by the 71 Lakers. Going into the NBA Finals, the Bulls play one of my favorite teams of the 90s, the Seattle Supersonics. I loved that team. I was a huge Gary Payton fan. I was a huge Sean Kemp fan. I even liked Detlef Shrimp. I was not a huge George Carl fan because uh, he always just kind of seemed like a dickhead to me, even when I was a kid, um, which, I mean, by all accounts, he is actually that. Um. And, you know, there's the, the Jordan getting snubbed by George Carl at the restaurant, which is, you know, a motivational tool that he used oh, and, and it, whatever. But I don't think that stuck with me as much as Jordan's reaction where he's watching Gary Payton on the iPad. <laughs> just uproarious <laughs> laughter. Like, it was just – it was – I like I started rolling when when I saw that and I mean I, I I love Gary Payton shit talk extraordinaire you know he and he 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 says it himself he was the defensive player of the year that yeah. year and, and that was at it. a time that was at a time when no point guard no point guard would have won that award it was always big men who won that award every yep. time nope this time it was the glove and, and, you know, Bulls go on to win the series, which so poetically, like you couldn't, you couldn't write this. Poetically, the game clincher is on Father's Day. His first championship oh, yeah. without his dad. You know, and I remember seeing the picture of Jordan collapsed in the locker room, clutching that basketball. But I, I did not remember seeing the video of it. And if there had been video of it, I definitely did not hear him. Oh, like yeah. you, you listen, you hear him wailing. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't even know what to, like the emotion that must be felt in that sort of situation must be very overwhelming and, and clearly manifested itself into that emotional outpouring at the end of that series. It, it was, you knew, you had to know at the start of that game that it was going to go one of two ways. He was either going to play out of his mind and they were going to win, 
or it was going to be the exact opposite and he was going to end up like getting benched in the fourth because he was not mentally there and obviously it was the uh former but yeah man it yeah. was it was it was heavy it was real heavy um now is there anything in this series that you think has been missed um is there anything that like one of the criticisms that i've heard is that there isn't anything that we didn't already know um that's one criticism that's usually from some of like the older you know sports media people who really do remember it because they watched his entire career uh, as opposed to someone like you or i where i don't really remember jordan in the 80s i don't really consciously remember him until around you know like 90 91 um but is there anything that you think is like you know missing that needs to be touched on well I mean, not not so far. It feels like, uh, for me anyway, being being the younger, like, like, be, like, I only remember the second three peat. Like, yeah. Watch actually watching the second three peat. I only remember that. Um, but as far as like important things to touch on and like the. You know, it started off as the first episode was all about Michael. Second episode, all about Scotty. Third episode, all about uh, Rodman. And fourth episode, all about Phil Jackson. And so I was curious if they were going to just continue that trend of, like, going through each of these players that he had a championship with. Like, obviously, once you get to the, to the not-so-noticed uh, names – the, the yeah and i mean they've touched on they've touched on tony kukoc and yeah and uh you know steve kerr a little bit i've actually i've heard that there's some more uh steve kerr talk coming um in in the final i don't know if it's nine or ten or whatever it's a combination of the two but that there is some more steve kerr related stuff in some of the final final things um, yeah, I feel like it's been kind of an unfair criticism because it's not, I, a lot of it has been like, well, there's not enough access to the family and it's like, eh, eh. how much, I mean, I they're mean, not really like, we've talked, we've talked a lot about family. Like his, his dynamic with his father is, is very much, I mean, like, does anyone really need to hear more about his brother, Larry? Like, I, I don't, I don't think so. You know? no, and, no, and and they they do on the points where it's relevant. They yeah they they cut to the brother I agree. or the brothers or the or his his mom. Like yeah, I, I don't feel like they're underutilizing the the his no, family. Me neither. I would. I guess I would like to see a little bit more. I would like to I would like to see a little bit more from Phil Jackson's point of view because mm. it seems like it since they had the episode that was more focused on him he like pops in every once in a while and he he puts in his point of view on these on these situations and how he was he was almost constantly trying to 
kind of keep MJ at bay in practices, trying to keep the peace essentially because yeah. he was so intensely competitive and wanted the best out of everyone in that in that uh, gym. Mm -hmm. But um, it just uh, one of so I guess one of the things that that I had said earlier is that there seems to be there seems to be a couple running trends that they keep bringing up and things that kept continuously get, get uh, the, they're just, they're trending in the, in mm -hmm. the documentary. Yeah. One of them was the, um, it, it always seems like <laughs> there's <laughs> in the playoffs, there's this one game that a particular, you know, quote unquote star player has a great game. <laughs> and then MJ takes it personally <laughs> that mm -hmm. they had a great game, whether he was the person defending them or not. Yeah, the wash, game. wash, rinse, and repeat, kind of. He just, there's this one game that they have. Charles Barkley did it. Uh, 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 BJ Armstrong did it. Horace Grant. Like it, it just it, it seems like there's a running trend of these of these people. Of a game, it's a game within the game for him. Yeah, exactly. He just he he doesn't necessarily like the when they go over the uh, the Washington Bullets and LeBradford Smith. The the Washington Bullets weren't a good team. No, they were awful. And LeBradford LeBradford Smith, I'm pretty sure they say in the documentary, never scored 20 points ever again in a game. No, <laughs> Which, and he's did did MJ just ruin this guy? <laughs> like I feel like that's what he did. That was what he did. Unless you were playing with him on the team, he would just break you down. But if you're on the team, he'd like build you back up and be like, you know, hey, like uh, one of the parts in the locker room, um, Burrell did not have a good night. He, he ended up saying, uh, he was like, you didn't make one jump shot tonight. He's like, oh, you? wait, you made one. Oh, wait, you oh, made wait, one. You got one. <laughs> and then, like, he goes, yeah, I was one for seven. <laughs> and MJ's just like, oh, come on, man. It's okay. And he fist bumps him, yeah. <laughs> he fist bumps him. He's so, like, apparently, like, I didn't, I didn't realize this, but, um, <laughs> but Jordan, you know, in one of the previous episodes, he's like, he's just such a nice guy. Like I could never get him. Like oh, yeah. he's just so nice. And he, apparently he was... they apparently they still play golf together. So I'm glad that like they're... that's awesome <laughs> that they're cool. Yeah, they. <laughs> one of the other people, and it was the the most recent one that we see in the documentary up to this point is Nick Anderson saying 45 is not 23, mm -hmm. and they're interviewing Horace Grant, who has now. Yeah. moved on to moved on like, to orlando and Horace why Grant did you say that <laughs> rolls his eyes throws his head back and just goes oh man <laughs> like, no you know he's just like why why did you have to do that like that you are the stupidest <laughs> yeah he was feeling himself a little bit too much after he, he stole he stole the ball from mj and he was feeling himself, and he decided to to talk some shit, and that didn't 
18 months later or whatever it was the, uh, oh, the following just, season. Just wrecked them. I got my timeline screwed up there. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited to see what's going to happen in nine and 10. We're probably going to get those, um, those Utah jazz series in there. I don't remember there being a lot of drama during those series because there wasn't a lot there, of drama in the series, but since, those series ended John Stockton is very obviously does not like Michael Jordan yeah it doesn't I, surprise me I bet and, Michael Jordan was a huge dickhead to him oh probably <laughs> I, I would imagine he was. You know? but John Stockton was you know I mean John Stockton and Carl Malone they were they were like the they were a damn good match they were really good duo and it just I remember I don't remember when it was but I I feel like I've seen an interview of John Stockton basically saying that Michael Jordan is a piece of shit and he oh. never, and he's never liked him oh no kidding <laughs> like I I, don't, I do not know that John Stockton quote I, it's not I don't it's, I'm paraphrasing essentially like he, oh, okay. I don't think he calls him a piece of shit but he's that's the vibe <laughs> that's the that's, vibe that he's that's the off. overall tone of the the, yeah. the quote gotcha yeah. and, gotcha and I think it's because Michael Jordan seemed in in John Stockton's eyes I think Michael Jordan was getting away with a lot of offensive fouls that weren't being called like push-offs and well yeah one of the most famous shots of that series of, oh it was of, to close because, the, it was to close the game out yeah and he put he does he pushes off right before making that jump shot which you know just didn't get called yeah and but jordan I, I, jordan but, is even admitted to it he's like oh no i cheated oh yeah <laughs> and but i and i feel like i feel like stockton is I, it was he was very vocally saying he was treated differently mm. and i, so I mean that kind of, superstars get calls it's always it's always been that way yeah i mean and, for as long as i you know i can possibly remember the the biggest names you know lebron is the same way when you're the man you're gonna get certain calls and like that's just and kind of what Kobe happens. was the same way when he was yeah yeah, prime. that's nothing new. I mean, is it right? No. Not really, but at no. The same time, but at the same time, how difficult as a referee is it to – I just don't – I don't – you can't – a lot of people, like, it's so easy to see the game on TV and be like, what are you calling that a foul for? Whereas in real time, they're just – they're watching the star players and they might not have a, the best angle on it. And it happens mm. in every sport. So it's, it's difficult. I think in the referee's position to be able to not call those fouls because it, that's, that's just how it is. Like yeah. you, they're, they're driving to the basket. Even if you've got your feet planted and you fall on the ground because you took a knee in the chest, yeah. If it's not blatantly obvious that your feet were planted, you're not getting that call. No. No, you're not. So that that kind of leads me into my next my my sort of last questions for you would be yep. in today's game, 
with it being very much not as physical, mm -hmm. do you think MJ would have been just as dominant? Um, there are certain players that you clearly could have put into any generation and they'd be amazing. Michael is definitely one of them. Um, I do think that there are certain players that would have given him problems. Um, and also depending on which decades specifically we're talking about, if we're talking about, you know, if you take 96 Jordan and you put him into 2006, him and him and Kobe are going to have some serious battles. Oh yeah. Um, him and Dwayne Wade would have some serious battles. If you put him into the, you know, the, this most recent decade that we've had, LeBron, Kevin Durant, those are going to be matchup problems. Um, yep. But do I think he still would have been amazing? Yes. Could he have potentially won six championships in a row? Probably not. More so because of how contracts and player movement has changed so drastically over these last 20 plus years. So, Yes, I think he would have still been an absolute fucking monster. Because you know he would have been better at shooting threes if it was like, here's what we do is we shoot threes all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would have loved to have seen Jordan at his prime covering um, James Harden at his prime. Oh, yeah. I think that would be an absolutely amazing matchup, more so because I think Jordan would have taken his lunch money, and that would be fun <laughs> for me to watch. <laughs> to see James Harden and his sleepy eyes just getting Humbled. pocketed every single time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I still think he would have been amazing. He would have been amazing. Um, there is an argument to be made that he would have been even better because he wouldn't have been getting beaten up all of the time. And he would have been able to use speed, finesse, and agility a little bit more than he had. Right. Um, so have, yeah. Being able to create space was his game. Yeah, and I, I feel like I, I just feel like he would have been. Yes, I agree with you. There are certain players that would have incredibly given him issues and problems, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the reason that Michael Jordan and also I feel the teams. Like, oh yeah, you no, know, it's it's teams. You know, it's not just in yeah, not individual matchups, but yeah, there there there's plenty of teams that defensively would have given him issues not being physical like the like the Detroit Pistons of the past mm -hmm. um so I feel like that's kind of one of the reasons why it it when the argument gets brought up and it continuously gets brought up all the time who's better like who's the who's the greatest NBA player of all time and the debate is always coming up is it Michael Jordan? Is it LeBron James? Mm -hmm. And I, my argument is always that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. And he's never not going to be because of the way that he was until somebody comes along and basically does what he did better. And what I mean by that is that he had the almost impossible ability to be able to change the pace of a series. Yeah. Yeah. He single, not single-handedly, but he had that mentality of 
all right, we lost the game. Time to basically take them to school. This is what we do. Be better. Mm. And the way that he was able to elevate his game over everyone else time and time again, just I don't get that same feeling from LeBron James. Yeah, I mean, you know, LeBron has definitely had his 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 faults and moments. The thing that I would say, and I I've said this a couple of times, is that the measuring stick for LeBron never should have been Jordan. The measuring stick for Kobe was Jordan because of the gameplay. The measuring stick for LeBron always should have been Magic Johnson because of how they played and how they were basically like a point forward kind of player. Um, So I think it's incredibly unfair to LeBron to constantly compare him to Jordan. Um, I think that LeBron is probably the most well-rounded basketball player I've ever seen. But if I'm going to say who was the greatest, Jordan. Good. <laughs> so, so we will, with, with that debate settled, I think we should end it there because we're at about an hour. Um, but we can definitely talk a lot more for the very final episodes of The Last Dance. Uh, Logan, thanks for joining me, bud. I appreciate it. You as well. Looking forward to the last two episodes. Yep, me too, brother. All right, take care. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the Not That Great Podcast. We'll see you next time. Farewell.